This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. Good to have you with us this morning. All of you who are here and those online, glad to have you. One of my favorite authors, uh, Max Licato, in his book, A Love Worth Giving, shared these words. You know the words from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love is not envious, boastful, arrogant, or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices instead in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. For love, true love, is eternal. Well, several years ago, Max wrote, someone challenged me. They challenged me to replace the word love in this passage with my own name. I did. And I instantly became a liar. I mean, can you imagine? Max is kind. Max is not envious, boastful, arrogant, or rude. Stop right there, I said. Enough, enough. Those words are false. They're not true. And everyone knows it. I am not always patient and kind. And I can be very arrogant and rude. Just ask my wife and my kids. At times, I I can be an out-and-out clod. That's my problem. And for years, that was my problem with this this passage from 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, it set a standard that I couldn't meet. In fact, no one can meet it. No one, that is, except Jesus Christ. Now, that passage from 1 Corinthians 13 does not describe me, Max wrote, It doesn't describe me, but does it not describe the boundless, measureless, amazing love of God revealed to us in Jesus? Let's see. Let's insert the name of Jesus in the place of the word love and see if it rings true. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy, does not boast, is not arrogant, is not rude. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. For the love of Jesus never ends. It never fails. It's eternal. Yes. Rather than let this passage remind us of a love that we cannot produce, Max said, Let it remind us instead of a love that we cannot resist, the love of God, God's wonderful, amazing, grace-filled love. With that insight from Max Licato in mind, let's look at today's lesson from the Gospel of Luke. It's the first three verses of chapter 15, and then verses 11 through 32. If you want to, you can follow along in your pew Bible, I have a compilation here of four different translations, so it'll be a a little bit different, uh, but you can follow along. By this time in his ministry, 
a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently to his words, listening intently to his teachings. The Pharisees and teachers of the law saw this happening, and they were not pleased, not pleased at all. They grumbled and snarled, saying, look, this man welcomes sinners, street scum, and he even eats with them, treating them like like old friends. And so Jesus told them this story. There once was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, I want what's coming to me. I want my share of your estate right now, instead of waiting until you die. So the father divided his property between his two sons. Well, it wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. And there, undisciplined, not caring, he wasted everything he had on wild parties and foolish living. After he'd gone through all of his money, there was a great and terrible famine throughout the whole country, and the boy began to starve. So he got a job through a local farmer who assigned him to feed his pigs. The boy was so hungry that he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, for no one gave him anything to eat. When he finally came to his senses, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, All of those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day. And here I am starving to death. I will go back to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against God and against you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Please, please take me on as a hired hand. So the boy got up. And started back home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw saw him. Filled with love and compassion, his heart pounding, the father ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son began his speech. Father, I have sinned against God and against you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. Calling one of his servants, he said, quickly, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And then get the fatted calf and kill it, for we are going to celebrate with a feast. My son was dead, but now he's alive again. He was lost, but now, now he is found. And so the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was working out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in, and as he approached the house, he heard music and dancing. Calling over one of the houseboys, he asked what was going on. Your brother came home, he was told, and your father has ordered a feast, killing the fatted calf, because your brother came back home safe and sound. Well, the older brother was so angry that he wouldn't go in. So his father came out to him and tried to talk to him. 
But he wouldn't listen. Look, Dad, he said, I have served you like a slave for many years and have always obeyed your commands, never giving you one moment of grief. And you have never, never given me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. And yet, and yet when, when this son of yours, who has wasted all of your money on prostitutes and wild living, comes back, you kill the fatted calf and you go all out with a feast for him. The father said to him, son, you don't understand. You are with me all the time. And everything, everything I have is yours. But don't you see? We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead. Now he's alive. This brother of yours was lost. But now he's found. Many Bible scholars, as some of you know, have said that the name of this parable, what we call the parable of the prodigal son, is a misnomer and should instead be called the parable of the loving father, because that's the whole point of this story, isn't it? The whole point, that the father is lavish in his love for both of his boys, that he pours out his amazing grace on both of his boys. Now, I, I know it's easy to forget that there are two boys in this parable, and thus two parts of this story. The first part's all about that younger son who leaves home, runs off on a wild binge, and and totally blows his share of his father's estate. But, Luke tells us, when he finally came to his senses, he decided to go back home and beg his father, plead with his father to take him back, not as a son, but rather as a hired servant. However, that doesn't happen, does it? No way. Because the father is so happy, so filled with compassion and love for his wayward son, he tells one of his servants to bring a robe, not just any robe, but the finest robe in the house and to put it on him. And then the servant is asked to get a ring, not just any ring, but the family ring, and to put it on him and sandals for his feet. And then the servant is told to to kill a calf. Not just any calf, but the fatted calf. Because there is going to be a party going on. It's a wonderful reunion between father and son. A marvelous celebration. A celebration in which forgiveness, mercy, and grace are seen in full force. Yes. But the prodigal's older brother When he learns what's going on, uh, he's in no mood for rejoicing, is he? He's in no mood for any reunion. He's in no mood for any celebration. No. 
He's in no mood for any forgiveness, mercy, or grace. No way. In fact, the older brother is sorry to see that his younger brother has come back home. Can you imagine? He's sorry to see that his younger brother came back home. And Jesus, (laughs) Jesus uses this story and raises in this story not only the repentant nature of the prodigal, not only the rejoicing and celebrating of the father, but also the unforgiving, self-centered, self-righteous, joyless, loveless attitude of the older brother. Jesus mixes all three of those in this story, doesn't he? And why? Why was Jesus doing that? Remember the uh, setting for this parable? Jesus was talking with and eating with some tax collectors and other notorious sinners. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law just couldn't believe their eyes. I mean, come on, what was Jesus doing? Why was he doing it? Just, Just who does this Jesus think he is? In their eyes, Jesus had crossed the line, hadn't he? He had crossed the line of decency. He had crossed the line of of what good and respectable people would ever do. And so these proper, upstanding, law-abiding, church-going people of our Lord's day began murmuring, grumbling, snarling against Jesus. Because Jesus had the audacity. He had the audacity to share God's love. He had the audacity to share God's good news with these these undesirables, these sinners, these outcasts, these street scum people. Why? The very idea. And when we realize that Jesus told this parable, For those who were doing the murmuring and grumbling and snarling. Then we realize that in this story, the older brother was was a symbol, wasn't he? The older brother was, was a symbol of all of those Pharisees and teachers of the law. Now, of course, prior to all of this, prior to his younger brother's antics, the older brother's conduct was, quite frankly, a rather impressive, wasn't it? After all, <laughs> the older son had stayed at home. Mm-hmm. The older boy was, was the good boy. He had worked hard and faithfully for his father. He was respectable. Why, you'd never catch him running off, wasting half of his father's estate on foolish living? Not this boy. Oh, no. And yet, as it turns out, the older brother was more deeply estranged, more deeply separated from his father than his younger sibling. You see, this this older son had no understanding, no concept of his father's love and compassion. 
No concept of his father's forgiveness and grace, even though he was right there at home, leading what everybody saw as a decent life. He was leading a decent life, but it was a joyless, thankless life, wasn't it? It was an unforgiving, self-centered, self-righteous life. It was a loveless life. Which is why when he learns that his younger brother is back home and that the father has welcomed him with open arms and a joyous celebration, the older brother is beside himself with anger and he lashes out at his father saying, listen, dad, I have served you like a slave for years. I've obeyed your every command. I have dotted every I. I have crossed every T. And you, you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, when this son of yours who wasted all of your money on prostitutes and wild living comes home, well, you go all out for him, don't you? You go all out for him. You even kill the fatted calf for him. In other words, the older son says, listen, Dad, it's just not right. It's just not fair. This party, this, this celebration should never have happened. Never have happened. This boy is resentful and jealous. He is frustrated and angry. Hatefully angry toward his brother. Hatefully angry toward his father. Hatefully angry toward the whole situation. And the point of this parable, my friends, is that the father even loves that boy. He even loves that boy. See, it's... (laughs) It's easy to love the prodigal, isn't it? I mean, he was an adventurer, a fun-loving fellow. Not always responsible, not always making the best decisions, not always the best judge of character. But he was a fun-loving fellow who was everyone's friend. He even ended up being remorseful and completely repentant. And he came back home, didn't he? He came back home. Any father would have loved that boy. But the great part of this story is that the father also loved the other son. The stay-at-home-and-work son. The father even loved a son who was joyless and thankless. The son who was unforgiving, resentful, and jealous. The son who was self-centered, self-righteous, and loveless. And in light of that, we need to ask ourselves, are there not those times? Are there not those times when we too are just like the older brother? Are there not those times when we too have murmured and grumbled and snarled against others who seem to be getting all the breaks? When life just doesn't seem fair. When our plans have to go 
off to the side to come because something else has happened. Are there not those times when we too have been joyless, thankless, unforgiving, resentful, self-centered, self-righteous, and loveless? Are there not those times when we too have been just like the older brother? The truth is, friends, whether, whether you've been an active part of church your whole life long or whether this is your first time in worship, the first time on, online, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are, in fact, separated from God by the way we choose to live our lives. And the point of this parable is that God, our Heavenly Father, loves all of us. Whether we are those who have gone from the faith for a while, living lives that have nothing to do with God, living lives that are certainly not heavenly bound, living lives that are not at all Christ-centered, Or, whether we've been active in the faith, living decent, respectable, proper, church-going lives, but yet we're still missing out on God's love and mercy. We're still missing out on his forgiveness and grace because our lives are so joyless, so thankless, so unforgiving, so self-centered, so self-righteous and loveless. And therein lies our our challenge, doesn't it? The absolutely amazing point of this parable is that whichever side we are on, God loves all of us. And God invites all of us to come to him. To come home. Regardless of the baggage that you're carrying right now. Regardless of all the the temptations and sorrows, all the hurts and trials, regardless of all, all the garbage that might be in your life right now, regardless of all of that, our loving, gracious, merciful God invites all of us through the power of the Holy Spirit to come home, to come back to him, to be that uniquely beautiful person that he created us to be. But to do that, to be in that situation, we must surrender our life to him. Surrender our life to him. Not holding back any part of it. Not just giving him our Sunday morning best. But surrendering our whole life. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Submitting to him unconditionally. Submitting to the touch. The touch of the master's hand. Remember? Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin. But he held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folks? He cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar? A dollar? Then two. Only two? Two dollars, and who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice. Going for three. But no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and 
picked up the bow and wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loose strings. He played a melody pure and sweet as the caroling angels sing. The music ceased and the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low. What am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with a bow. A thousand dollars, and who make it two? Two thousand, and who make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, and going and gone, said he. The people cheered, but some of them cried, oh, we do not quite understand. What changed its worth? And came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. Now many a man with life out of tune battered and scarred with sin, is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once. He's going twice. He's going, and he's almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd can never quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Yeah, the touch of the master's hand. Surrendering our life to him. Surrendering our life to his touch. Submitting. Submitting to his leadership. Submitting to his power and love. Submitting to his way of life for us and coming back home, coming back home. That's what it's all about. Not just knowing about him, (laughs) not just knowing some stories about him, not just memorizing some verses about him, not just singing some songs about him, But truly knowing him, having a deep personal relationship with him, being available for his call in our life, being sensitive to the needs of those around us, and being accountable, Hmm. being accountable, not only to family and friends, but especially to him, our Lord, Savior, and King, who reminded Nicodemus, just as he reminds us, that God so loved the world, that God so loved you, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, that when you Believe in him. You will not perish, but rather you will have eternal life. And all of that happens, all of that begins when we, like the prodigal, come to our senses. When we surrender and submit to our Lord. And when we come back home. As the praise team comes forward, Let me ask you a a question, friends. 
Are you tired? Hmm? Are you tired of trying to do your life on your own? Are you tired of falling flat on your face again and again and again? Hmm? Are you tired of, of attempting to please others? Are you tired of attempting to please your Lord? Are you tired of slopping the pigs and never seeing a way out? Never seeing any future for yourself? Are you tired of it all? If so, then it's time. It's time to come home. Time to come home to your loving, forgiving, compassionate Father and lay all of your burdens, all of your trials, all of the garbage down at his feet. It's time to come home and find that rest. Find that peace that passes all understanding and fills our lives to overflowing. Yes, it's time. Time to come home to our rock and our refuge. Time to come home to our Savior and Redeemer. Time to come home to our loving, forgiving, grace-filled God. It's time to come home, inviting him, perhaps for the very first time. Or simply inviting him once again to be Lord, Savior, and King of your life. It's time, my friends. It's time to come home. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've been, Regardless of what's going on in your life right now, it's time to come home to your Lord, to give it all to Him. Give it all to Him. It's time to come home indeed. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? We get tired, Lord. Tired of trying to do life all on our own. Trying to be everything for everybody. We just can't do it. And we fall flat on our faces <laughs> so many times, Lord. So many times. Help us to hear your voice. Your invitation to come back home come back home to you saying yes precious Lord I will follow you I'm done trying to do it on my own by myself I'm done with that through the power of your spirit Lord Jesus help us to come home to come home to you Find that life that you have created for us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide. 